to Across the Margin, the podcast. I am your host, Michael Shields, and I am flat out honored to present an interview with Coffee, a Brooklyn-based filmmaker and activist who has inspired me profoundly. I've had the privilege on multiple occasions to hear Coffee speak, to protest, and to run with him, and it truly means a lot for me to be able to share some of his story here and to put those not in the know on about the movement he helped found called Running to Protest and tell you about a deeply impactful short film Coffee wrote entitled About the People. Running to Protest is a movement Coffee, with the help of activist Power Malou, brought to life that was birthed in response to what has been happening to black people, people of color, and indigenous people in America since day one. In the wake of the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and a list that goes on and on, Coffee began organizing protest events and protest runs that bring together people passionate about change. I can attest firsthand that the running to protest movement and events are powerful, educational, rife with pragmatic action items and energy to push for real change. In this interview with Coffee, you will learn more about how running to protest came to be and its aims moving forward. And before we go further here, I need to mention that if you're interested in getting involved or learning more about running to protest, follow at running to protest on Instagram. That's just at running to T.O. protest. Everything you need to know is right there. As alluded to, Coffee recently wrote and starred in a short film called About the People, alongside a team of incredibly talented actors, including Michael K. Williams, who you might know as Omar from The Wire, or Matros from Lovecraft Country. About the People is a narrative short film born of actual events that examines social injustice and racial inequality in the black and brown community. It is an ode to the power honest conversations about social justice, equity, and race have within black and brown communities. The movie hosts a group of concerned pillars of the African-American community that hold court at a conference table to discuss how they can improve society for their kinfolk and compel change. They grapple with the political, financial, and educational power structures in America, how they fit inside them, and plans for the re-engineering. Their open dialogue looks to find answers to tough social issues with the resolutions and ideas arriving through moments of heated exchanges. About the People encourages all audience members to have an introspective conversation that sparks real change. In this interview, Coffee and I dig deep on running to protests and about the people. Uh, you're going to dig it. Lots to learn here. And here it is, my interview with Coffee. Good. I'm good. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Nah, for sure. Anytime, man. Yeah, I gotta. Uh, I gotta tell you, I've been in, uh, incredibly inspired by um, what you uh, what you do with um, running for protests, and then also uh, the movie really blew me away the other day. Seeing that, that was really great. Uh, thanks. I appreciate you coming in and actually been a part of that um, webinar that we actually had. So I appreciate that. Yeah. No, that was really truly truly my pleasure. I. Uh, the first time I ran with you was um, uh, it was the day where we were getting the vote out, and that was just it was really, I, I mean this earnestly. It was one of the most affecting days I've had during this year, and and you know we had that meditation 
at the end of the day. And that was like, really what I walked away from that. And I was, I, was, I haven't been that inspired in a while. I, I love what you're doing and I'm, I'm really, really pumped to talk about it. So, um, I'd love to start with running, um, uh, to protest. How, how did that, how did that start? How did that come to be? Basically with everything that, you know, the climate that we're actually living in today, um, that's how it all came about, man. Me personally, as a runner and, um, seeing these things, you know, from a youth standpoint, growing up in the South to now here in New York was just, um, mind-blowing and very shocking and knowing that, you know, I'm always be black my entire life and as well as my kids. Um, I just felt like as a runner again, um, the community, running community didn't have anything to show, you know, how they feel about the situation. So there was a protest that actually came across um, my front um, yard or whatnot and once they went by, I actually joined them. And then they split into two different groups. And when they split, I stayed back with the group that was, that remained by the park. And just standing there and seeing what, you know, they was protesting about, although I already knew, but just being a part of it for the first one, um, was powerful. And, but then it was also kind of infiltrated as well with, um, the different tactics that, you know, the, the authorities had going on at the time. And at that moment, I saw people, how they were being set up and ran after. And then, really, do you know, I was also ran after um, not too much longer after that. And at the time, they couldn't catch, catch me, but still, um, just knowing that we were doing everything by the book and no one really respecting it. And then the, the following day, I actually um, went out because the following day was actually a Saturday. And my long run ended up being marathon numbers. But during the long run, my whole con- my whole thing was uh, not knowing that I was running that long. I was in thought of thinking, how could I add my voice and what it is that I can do? Mm. And um, it became running to protest. Um, let me see how many people actually care about this thing. And um, again, I, I mean, I said it a couple of times, I thought, you know, I'd, at least I'll get like 40 or 60 people out there. But the very first one actually had um, close to 1,200 people yeah. at the Ample Theater. And and then I called uh, Power Malik and to tell him about the idea. You know, I wanted him to come on board, you know, because he's been doing this forever. Yeah, he's, 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 he's incredibly right inspiring too. Yeah, he's, 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 not, he's an incredible person as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so him and I spoke about it and then, um, yeah, we had our first one in June. Yep. And we've been doing it, um, since then. Yeah. I love it. it it's it's lo- I love to see the different angle. You know, it's, it feels like a different, as far as I know, uh, a different angle to, to protest and, and, um, you know, because I, I, I've heard you also say, just to speak about running a little bit, um, you've talked about how running is your medicine. And I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, me, I find it so meditative and I, I, I get lost in thought. And, you know, I'm a writer. I write a lot. And, and like, I, I find myself writing while I'm running. And it just, there's a power to that. And then, then like the running community as a whole and bringing that into the protest movement, I, I just 
think was brilliant on on many fronts. I mean, it, running running means a lot to you right now. Is that the case? Yeah, running has been, um, you know, I've been running since 2005. Yep. 2005. So each and every year, you know, um, they get stronger and stronger, and I, and I love it. But now at this point, 15 years in, you know, we have our love and hate relationship. I think everyone <laughs> has that when it comes to running. But no um, me running at night, it is my therapy. It is my medicine. Yeah. It, it is, like you say, you saw the film when we showed it that night. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exactly how the film came about while I was running. It came, like you say, you're a writer. So it, you collect your thoughts. You let it sit there, and then you adjust to it and see what other elements you can add. And a lot of things um, I do comes from um, running, whatever thoughts, whatever that needs to be taken care of, whether it's work or whatever. All that is taken care of while running. No doubt. So, yeah, running is very, very, very important um, to me. Yeah, same here. I I think you just crossed over uh, 2,000 miles for the year. Is that right? I just crossed 2,000, man, which was crazy it's because congrats, I've been man. trying to get. <laughs> nah, I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Like, um, I've been, like, not really paying attention at first. Yep. And then, um, yeah, and then this, my, uh, I had a, a, a next-door neighbor who taught me a lot as well. Man. I had a next-door neighbor named mm-hmm. Michael Cruz who taught me a lot about um African-American history mm. and um, he reminded me like how my grandfather was teaching me when he was alive when I was growing up and you know he kept me intact and every time I would come out the house he would call me king and things like that mm. and he was a runner and he was the one that um, said man you're doing a lot of running and you're not like calculating your miles I was like nah I'm not I don't need to know I, I don't even know how many miles I run I just know that I run a lot He's like, nah, you should know. You should always keep intact by how many miles you run. So I started maybe six years ago, maybe less, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think it was like five or six years ago, calculating my miles. Like, so for, so for, for nine years, <laughs> I wasn't calculating miles at all. And then he tells me that, and then I start, you know, calculating all my miles. And then um, since I've been doing that, I've been trying to like, okay, give myself this goal, give myself this goal. Mm-hmm. I make it, I make it. And last year, 2000 was my goal, and I didn't make it. I was short, mm-hmm. and I was like, wait, how did I become short? Like, I was doing everything in close, but then I realized um, at the top of the year, like, I had to sit out for like two and a half weeks um, uh, due to a, a, a injury that I had or whatnot. So I was like, that's where it's at. Yep. So then I was like, all right, well, at the beginning of this year, I'm going to make sure that um, I get it. But I didn't know I was going to get it as quick yeah. um, as I did. I'm thinking this is something I'm going to get, like, maybe the day before New Year's. Mm-hmm. And um, in the, in the other day, uh, Faith, who's the founder of uh, Bridge Run, mm-hmm. his birthday month, yep. he did a 31. I mean, he did a 50K, and I joined him. Damn. And I didn't do the entire 50K, but I did, like, um, Part of 14 it. miles yep. got home didn't even think about it and then the next thing I know um, no, I did a little more than 14 miles but I get home yeah. forgot about it then some say go check your mileage and I went and checked and I was like yo wait 
I'm over 2,000 already. <laughs> Early like, December, so too, yeah. I, yeah, so I was like, all right, well, since I know that and I made my goal, does that mean that, you know, I can rest a little bit? Like, <laughs> can I, Time to chill. You know, it's time to chill. Yeah. Yep, yep. Like, you try to re- chill out, stop running 10 miles every night you go out, like, yeah. You can go run a five k now. That's good, good enough. Or one mile here, two miles there. But it, it's cool. You definitely I don't mean, have to go and put in double digits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, uh, you inspire so many people with what you do. It's kind of cool to inspire yourself sometimes. Like, like looking up and realize you put all those in. I mean, because I'm sure your head was down most of the time, just doing what you do, and you know, like you said, you weren't even really counting it at first. But that, that's 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 really awesome. Um, I know the answer to this next question, but I want to ask it so like uh, the listeners here can know. But um, you ask us all and everyone you run with to wear white um, when we get out there and um, run uh, to protest. Wh- why did you choose white? There was a so there was a protest in New York mm-hmm. in 1928. If I'm not mistaken. Um, I want to make sure that I'm always right and accurate, but it was in July. It was in the summer. Mm-hmm. Of 1928, I think it was July 17th, 1928, and it was all in reference towards um, what was happening in St. Louis. They was doing a lot of lynching um, in St. Louis at the time. And with that, with that said, the first solid protest was here in New York on Fifth Avenue, mm-hmm. and when they did it. You know, they told everyone, it was all African Americans, and they told everyone to dress in white. They told they, all the men, I mean, all the women and children was dressed in white, and all the um, the men were dressed in white tops with black dress jackets. Mm. So I wanted to pay homage to, to them um, because people, a lot of people wouldn't know about that. You know, like when we, when we speak protest, the first yep. people you the first people you think about is Martin Luther King in that era. Um, because that's, that's, you know, and, and I love Martin Luther King mm. and what they did for us. But that's as deep as they would get with us in school. Definitely. You know? So like, much, there was so much that's more. That's where it's so much more. Mm. But they won't go, the school system, McGraw and Hill, or school books, won't allow anything deeper to come in those textbooks. So I knew about this silent march, uh, which they called the, the Negro Silent Protest Parade, and it had 10,000 African Americans. And again, they marched along Fifth Avenue, starting at 57th Street, mm-hmm. going south. And it was all because of the death that had actually occurred in East St. Louis. And at that time, the only difference was they were being lynched as opposed to being shot. Now, some of them were being shot, but lynching was way more style back then than it is today. And it was um, against, uh, obviously, the KKK, but also uh, police brutality back then, as much as it is um, today. So that's why I ask everyone to wear white, to remain wearing white, because um, I felt like that was very important history to know. And if there's a way for me to teach one person, don't have to be many, but Mm -hmm. if one person learns from this, then I did my job. Yeah, an amazing homage. And also, yeah, I mean, I learned about it personally. So you did your job right there. Um, I know Power speaks about this a lot. One more question about the running. I'm excited to talk about the movie too. But uh, 
um, you know, there's a lot of talk about uh, uh, it kind of a motto that's that that goes along with the running to protest. Um, it's the all crews, one crew. Uh, Power talks about yeah. it a bunch. And I was wondering if you speak on that a little bit, what that means, all crews, one crew, what that means to you guys. For me, in that, like, this whole running to protest thing, you know, everything I, I look at it comes from a cinematic standpoint. Then mm-hmm. um, I'm in that world, right? And I'm a huge fan of um, The Warrior. Yeah. If you have seen that movie. Yeah, damn right. Yeah, so, so what Cyrus was trying to do at that time, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, he was trying to get all the gang members, regardless of if they hated each other or not, he wanted all of them to become one gang. Whether they were good or bad, he wanted to let them know, look, you might come from the Bronx, Queens, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Staten Island, wherever you come from, let's become this one unit. And from a runner standpoint, we wanted that exact same feel, which was all crews, one crew, meaning we know you run with your certain crews, uh, whether it's branded or not, uh, on Saturdays or Tuesdays or Thursdays or you know, when whatever you run with your crew, there's always one day that we should take out and run together as one crew, regardless on who you sponsor by. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much um, what that means. Yep. You know, like, like we know, like, you might not know some of the people in the other crews, but when we come together, you you'll see a common goal that mm-hmm. you will have with he or she. You know, there's nothing wrong with sharing the exact same streets with other crew runners. Yep. It's power. But there. at the same time, you exactly. But at the same time, you should know them because you never know how you can help them out, yep. especially if it's a person of color. Mm-hmm. You know, because nine times out of ten, we're the ones who get looked at, get looked upon, especially. In, Depending on what time you choose to run, like me, I run it. I run it late. I run late night. You do, yeah. So I'm already, I'm already being judged yep. as a black man. Yep. I mean, it's dangerous enough for a black person in general mm-hmm. in the daylight. So imagine you can a black man running at nighttime. Yep. So, and I'm not running from anything. I'm not running because I've done something. Yep. I'm running to remain healthy, like everyone else. Mm-hmm. And and because of that, know, that medicine, uh, that medicate, the meditation we were talking about, and just those other things, and and just because any person should be allowed to to do that, to run, and and just I think that's what you're fighting for that ability. That it's 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 absurd that there should be a fear attached to that, and of course that's the reality. It's crazy. Exactly. Um, exactly, and that's what that's what it is. My medicine, man. So yep. That's why I'm out there. Yeah, I'm. I, I I couldn't understand that more. So I wouldn't have found um, uh, your film about the people if I didn't find you through protests and, and what you do on that other side. I, I you know, when I, I when I see you when I see you uh, out there and, and and you speaking and bringing together people like that, you know, I, to me that's like that blows me away enough. And then all of a sudden I find out this other aspect of you, and I'm still learning about you. I know there's lots of your background that I was seeing about in the. Um, you know, in that um, uh, screening, I just there's there's so much to talk about, but like I was just blown away about you're a filmmaker at the same time, and like all those other things, and so about the people I wouldn't have known about unless you did that. You know, kind of combine that screening with the whole uh, running to protest thing, but uh, that was so that was kind of a gift that came along with knowing it. But um, 
I guess I guess I'm gonna ask you a very general question just to, so you can kind of let all the listeners know what um what is about the people you you wrote this film this short film what is it what is about the people? It's pretty much it's a film that um you know when, when people usually ask me that I just break down the laws on a synopsis of it yeah, yeah and yeah. for me it's, it's, it's strictly concerned pillars in the African American community meet with one goal in mind mm-hmm. and that's change. Yep. And and all that saying is that, you know, forever we have always grappled with like political and financial educational power structures in America. So today we need to just find out and figure out how do we sit inside of them and plan and or what of our plans for re engineering those plans that was already set against us since the day we were born. And what I did was you think um 12 Angry Men, right? You ever seen that movie, the original yeah, version? Absolutely. I thought of it right away when I was watching it. Absolutely. Yeah, so I took 12 Angry Men and I versed that, you know, with the Cleveland Summit, the 1967 Cleveland mm. Summit. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. No. Um, Jim, Jim Brown, who was very popular at the time, Jim Brown was a major football player back yep. then. Cleveland Browns, yep. And, yep, and yep. he was a, um, a big time he was a big time um, Cleveland Browns player. And it's when Muhammad Ali said he wasn't going to go to the Korean War. He wasn't going to go and fight in the war. And Jim Brown got all the celebrities together. He got Bill Russell, Korean Jabbar, who was a professional basketball player. And he also got a lot of other NFL African American players to all meet at this secret location in Cleveland. And they discussed, they discussed why they should take Muhammad Ali's side. And then the next conversation became, how can we save our people from being murdered in the streets the way that we are? How can we stop us from being mistreated by them on the other side that sees us as a criminal first Mm. and not even a second citizen until last? So we don't know how they look at a second and third. You know what I'm saying? So. I put those two in a jar, man, and those were my two cross references to come up with about the people and um, put them in a the room and just pretty much let them have dialogue, um, just like how you can hear talk about in the barbershop. If you go mm-hmm. to the barbershop, mm-hmm. you'll hear those type of conversations happening, whether it's about sports, whether it's about a TV show, whether it's about a basketball player, or a football player, or a baseball player, you know, and the dialogue was simply there to try to find answers to, you know, tough social issues and how they resolve, um, again, what we go through today. Yep. yep. So that's, that's what about the people was about, man. And it's, it's, it's sad that that film came about because my son, that's my oldest son at that time, um, to give you a short story with, um, yeah, I want to hear this. Yeah. I had four curfew. Uh-huh. And um, I would give him one because he was really about to be a senior in high school. Yeah. And his first three years in high school, his curfew was 10 p.m. And he would be home on time, like literally on time, 10 p.m. So for a senior year, you know, in my mind, he's wiser, he's older. So I didn't give him a curfew at all. And I was just like, you know, go do what you do. Because I knew he was playing basketball in um, Brooklyn Bridge Park. And I, I know that's where it was at come home with us. I was like, you know, I'm not going to give you a curfew. Let me see what time you used to think you should come home. 
And before you know it, man, in all seriousness, um, three straight nights, we came home at 8 o'clock. And, you know, in the summertime, I live in the yard until like 8, 45, 9 o'clock here yep. in New York. Yep. And, but when he was coming home at 8 o'clock, I knew something was up. Because I'm like, I'm saying to myself, wait, I don't give him a time to be coming to daylight. So then maybe I shouldn't have gave him a curfew, you know, the first three years. You know, that's how I was ready. Like, uh-huh. 10 o'clock, he's there. But without giving him a time to come at 8 o'clock. Anyway, um, when he came home that third night, man, I just pulled him to the side. I mean, pulled him to the side. I was like, yo, let's talk. Cause I thought somebody was bothering him. Yeah. And I just asked him, yo, what's the deal? Like, if, if, if there's something going on, just let me know. And whoever it is that's bothering you, you know, I'm still young enough with me and my boys can come down there and have a conversation with whoever, just so you know, you can have your teenage years and still play ball and whatnot. You know, nothing physical is going to happen, just a, a conversation, you know what I'm saying? And, um, like when I said that, man, he looked me right in my eyes, like, nah, dad, um, that's not it at all. He's like, my friends and I are trying to make it, my friends and I are making sure that we get home before dark so we won't be killed by the cops. And when he said that, I didn't have an answer as a dad, as a father. That's the first time. That's the first time I didn't have an answer for any of my kids because it shocked me. But it also let me know that he was awake. Yeah. You know, they were woke. Yeah, they got at it. At a young age, they got it. You know, they saw what happened to Trayvon Martin. They saw what happened to Michael Brown. They saw what happened to Tamir Rice. So here we are thinking that you know. Is this too harsh for them to know? Although I was very straightforward about about everything that's happening, they really paying attention to it from a different perspective. They're saying, "Look, we don't want that to happen to us." But they weren't. He wasn't fortunate until that night. So I went on. I, you know, I stayed running and whatnot, and then it dawned on me like a month later, like um, write a short film. Yeah, and that's how that's how the, the idea of the film came about. That's how the characters came about for yeah. each character. Um, we didn't give them a name. We gave them a a title, a job title name. There was the senator, there was the celebrity, there was the preacher, there was the awesome. author, there was the yeah. executive, there was the professor, there was the athlete, there was the janitor, there was the military. You know, um, I felt like those things were very important to say, hey, look, we can also be executives, we can also be apostles. You know, you don't constantly have to look at us like, you know, he, this is the, the the person that just got out of jail, mm-hmm. or this is the maid. You know, that's how we get looked upon, and those are the roles that are provided on, on TV to us. You know, so yeah. man, you that's just, how a lot of people came about. Definitely, man, you kind of just fucked me up a little bit. That uh, what what your son was saying, like I, you know, that throughout history, I, I just, you know, I know it occurred in the South, but I never ever thought of New York or any other city as like a sunset sundown town. And that's kind of what he was saying. Like when it gets dark, I want to get away, get out of the streets from the cops. Cause they, that just, that just, that's super intense. Um, and to speak on what you were saying with the film though, uh, um, it goes back to kind of what we were talking about with all crews, one crew, you're getting all these different people from all these different walks of life to get together for one common cause. And, that there was so much power in that and it was it was fun um within the scheme of like how profound it is it was fun to watch these people from the walks of life seeing how how we each can use what we're good at to to you know come together and make this thing work and i think that was such 
like not only is it is it deep and, and, and important, but it, there was a fun there too. It's a, it's a fun and interesting film in that way um, as well. Uh, and there's one thing I want to bring up and ask you about it. There was also a moment too where um, we're talking about all these different aspects coming together at once, but there was a one where uh, um, a woman comes into the fray. And it's kind of, uh, to me, I found it to be a crucial moment in the film. Um, and I think she says, or someone says, no movement has moved forward with just testosterone but the inclusion of um and just looking at the importance in our in, in you know in in the country of of of, of women especially black women just being a part of these movements that was that was a really cool moment can you speak on that a little bit so the film the, the way it was structured was based off my childhood like mm-hmm. growing up and um and no and no 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 attention you know um or any of that, but you know, that was a different day of age growing up in the eighties and um nineties. But um my grandfather had friends in the house and um you know, they would just talk about sports, baseball mainly, he was a baseball guy. And um if there was an issue or whatever that was happening, it would be him and his friends, him, Moses, Josh, Samuel, you know, all you know, it was like a good five or six of them or whatnot, you know, and um they will always try to see if they can come up with an answer or desire. But meanwhile, my grandmother would be walking back and forth in the house, listening to them, um, cleaning up, um, eating, doing whatever she does, you know, on a, on a weekend or whatnot. But the one thing that she knew was that, excuse me, the one thing that she did was if she found out for her that they couldn't answer, she was just answer the question for them. She was the provider, you know, and me seeing that um, a couple of times, man, that was mind-blowing. And, it, you know, and it let, at a young age, it lets me know like in there that, yes, women need to be in every room that we have, but also women in the answer to everything. You know, women are very powerful. Women are very strong. And Definitely. they need to be and should be very well respected and protected yep. Um, yep. at the same time. So that was the whole purpose of structuring it um, that way. And her coming in the room, you know that she answered everything once she came in the door. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I wanted the audience to, depending on who the people were individually, I wanted the, the audience to say, where are we? Well, I wanted the men to say, wait, there's no women in the room. What's going on? And I wanted them to say, wait, if she, if she, if she goes in that room, what is she going to do? Is she going to like, Tell them, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted that, like, because that was the whole purpose of keeping her in the hallway. Mm-hmm. But see, she was my um, my Angela Davis with a Tupac feel. Mm. You know, like yep. you know, when it comes to writing bios for, for the characters, that's that's all I wrote for for that character. Oh wow! Because I I I, I, you know, I admire Angela Davis by yep. far, and Tupac still today my mm-hmm. favorite artist. Yeah. I mean, look at the body of work that he did way back when yep. and it's still very, very relevant today. Oh, damn. There's no can so that's how and why she entered the room the way she did and fulfilled it with all the answers that mm-hmm. none of the males in there could answer. Definitely. The pushback was good too. I mean, you were obviously, it's that, you know, it goes back to that 12 angry men thing where there's so many different viewpoints and, and, and some of them were like, yeah, she needs to be here and some were skeptical and with that skeptical nature, we got to understand, you know, they asked the questions, why should she be here? And she answered that 
really, really quick. I just thought that was so, so powerful. Um, what else was powerful was your character. And your, <laughs> your, your character is mad. It was, I mean, and, 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 and anger that's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, if you think about it, of course, it's completely understood. But I want to talk to you about um, just as you wrote yourself as the angry person in the room and just like kind of, um, I don't know, I guess I'm just curious, not why you did it, but kind of how, what, what you were channeling. Was it like something, did you want to like play that role as to kind of like get, I don't know, you were, I, you were the angry dude. Tell me something about it. Like it was, <laughs> it was, it was fun to watch and, and it was fun to think about where that was coming from. I needed to. Um, yeah. All right. That's what I thought. See that character, man. Yeah. Um, because, um, Obviously, I could have been any character, you know, being yep. that I wrote it and yep. cast it with yep. those different actors, except the senator. I couldn't be the face. That had to be Michael Smith, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I could have cast myself as any role, but I felt like the militant was best because um, I was pissed off. Like, I mean, I'm still am pissed off about what's happening to us, you know. So writing this film, I mean, it's sad to say that it was forced because of the situation that we're in. You know, again, I wrote this as the answer to my son and everybody else that's going through the exact same thing, whether you're a kid, whether you're an adult, because as adults, we go through it just as much as they do as well. You know, we have to literally relive our lives every single day. Mm-hmm. We have to start over from the beginning and make sure that we make it home and don't, you know, don't step on that bug if you didn't step on it the night before. Don't kill that ant if you didn't kill it the night before because you might you might get shot for doing so just because of the color of your skin. So I had to play a pissed off character because there was a lot of anger coming from that perspective of knowing that this is real. Like, am I really going to make Am I going to make it on set today? to film this, this scene. Like, all that is real. So it wasn't like we were, you know, on set, saying, okay, let's jump into character. I, I mean, these characters actually do exist. And, and the militant, you know, I see the militant, like, whenever I go to the barbershop, you know, it's the militant is always, you know, he's black power for sure, but he's always got to be right. And even when he was wrong, he felt like he got his point across. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. the militant. And, and he always had to be first. Like you and I could be thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. But if you voice it before I do, then I'm going to interject and I'm going to go against <laughs> it. Because I should have been the first one to voice that. You know, that's that's the over-the-top over militant that I'm used to seeing um, here in New York. And that's why I wrote that character as an over-the-top militant um, in everything, like, Notice he argued with everybody yeah, in that room itself. Itself, the athlete. Because he's smart enough to know that yeah. the athlete is a boxer and could have knocked him out at any time. So he argued with every individual except yep. the athlete. Yep. He didn't call the athlete out not one time. So, um, yeah, no, that makes sense. So, yeah, that's why I chose to play that character. No, that made that, and I, I really want to ask that. And that, that anger, you know, as, as kind of, um, it, you know, it was interrupting sometime to some of the, 
productivity, but that's what anger and passion does. And it, it just, it's so appropriate to, to, to what we're talking about. And it just, you know, I completely understand. And, and, you know, that's why I was asking why you wanted to, you know, inject yourself right there into that role when you're writing all these other very thoughtful roles. Not that that isn't thoughtful, but it was, there's such power in, in that passion there. Um, and we're talking about all these different pieces to it. That cast, the team, I mean, beyond the cast, the cast is incredible. But I mean, you know, the uh, just listening to the producer, um, Stephen Garcia, um, director was Ster- Sterling uh, Milan, if I'm saying that right. A- and then the cast, what, a, what an impressive team you uh, brought together for this thing. You guys all brought together for this. Do you want to speak on that a little bit or just what it was like working with these talents? Because it was an amazing group of talent on set that day or that whenever well, you were shooting for. Well, for, for each character, I actually had them in mind while writing. Um, except Tyler Leslie, who played the executive, mm-hmm. and Dorian Mitchell, who played the creature. And and the only reason I had Dorian literally in mind for the preacher, but Dorian at the time was living in LA and we get access here in New York mm-hmm. and that it was a small budget that we dealt with. So when you know you have somebody in mind to play the role, it really helps you write dialogue a lot better because you already know how they how they speak. You already know what other type of characters they play and then you're able to say, Okay, I want I want him to portray this character. Yep. I'm going to write him to play this character, mixed with a little bit of that character, and bring those, you know, if, depending on what role you actually offer to them. And no one turned it down, man. Um, no one that's, turned that's, it down that's, because that's they all had something to say as well. Mm-hmm. And, and Michael, man, you know, all, all of these actors I knew until Tiger Alexis. Yep. Um, Shruti, one of the co-producers brought him to my attention. And um, so I was like, okay, cool. And man, this guy came on set, uh, Michael, and um, he learned this thing in two days. And we had three days to shoot, but we took one day for rehearsal Mm -hmm. and we shot for two days. At rehearsal, he was off, he was off the book. And I was shocked. I'm looking like, wait, he's off the book. I'm still on the book, and I wrote it. <laughs> but, but he did the same, man. You know, he played the executive, and he did yep. very well. And, and uh, oh, he's Michael, Michael Kenneth Williams, That's I went Omar. to um, his house. Because him and I, you know, yeah. Michael's like my older brother. Like he's, a, I'm, he's like, I mean, Michael has been great friends, like brothers, for a long time. Oh, you've, no, you've, no, you've known him for a while? I've been knowing Michael for a long time. I, man. I put him in solid double XL. Yep. Yeah, I was just, um, we, we've been the great friends, and, you know, he's like my older brother. Um, Incredible. He's like um, my kids, um, one of my kids, Godfather, you know, like, um, so, but still when it comes to work, yep. you have to be professional about it. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So what I did was I wrote the script, went to him, and I said, hey, I want to talk to you about something. He said, okay, cool, what's up? So we start talking. And I said, look, I had this issue with Tristan, who's my oldest son. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, what, what happened? And I said, well, look, I, 
it's the same story that I told you and um, about him being afraid of being outside of the dark. Mm-hmm. And before mm-hmm. I finished it, he already knew where I was coming from. And he said, yo, I'm on board. Whatever it is you have in mind, I'm on board because it's happening way too much. And I've always had a lot to say about this, but no one was approaching um, me from that side. Wow. And wow. he said, I'm on board. And right away, he said, let's call my manager right now. Let's go ahead and iron this out and let yeah. it be known that whenever you guys are about to shoot, if that's what you have in mind, of course, it's like, whatever you, whenever you guys are about to shoot, let's go ahead and iron those things out. Yeah. And that right there, let it be known right then and there that, okay, this is, I got something, right? Yep. But something, when I say something, I'm speaking about something that resonates with us as a whole because Michael is not going to just jump up and do anything. Yeah. You know, and when he when he read it, it became like, oh, man, like, okay, yeah, let's do this. And even when we shot um, those two days, called every all of us at this table. And he's like, listen, um, I know we are all on set and this is a job for us, but at the same time, this is real life. And we all know our dialogue, but let's make sure that we actually know what we're doing because it's yeah. every day for us. When we said, when we leave set, we right back out there, looked upon yeah. every you know- week, every way that we're inside this room for. Yep. Because yeah. that's how it is. We're safe now because we're in here on set. But yep. the minute you leave set, Different. because of your color, you're back in the danger. Yep. Yep. And you would be absolutely right. You know, I, I, I've been on that ever since my North Carolina days. Mm-hmm. So that's how the cast came about. And Sean, who's on Blacklist. Yep. Um, I know him personally, but we have crossed, like everyone else, we have crossed um, auditions together. And, um, Hey, Sean, I, I, you know, he knew Nation who played the professor. Yeah. And I, um, I called Nation and Nation said it's cool. Then I emailed Nation and Nation hit me back literally 20 minutes later. After I sent him an email, I said, I'm on board. So I knew the film resonated and it gravitated um, the appropriate way to a lot of them because a lot of actors, man, of color, yep. uh, we have something to say. Yeah, but then judge upon, and you can get blackballed or however that works. Yep. If you know, maybe today you won't because of this one year has changed. I want, I want, I wanted to bring that up, Coffee. I don't mean to interrupt you, but um, I know Sterling was talking about, and we were doing the screening together. Um, he was saying this was in the works in 2015, and so you're talking about everybody jumping in then. Like now, everybody's kind of not everybody, but a lot of uh studios and and you know people are looking for these voices to actually you know there's a bigger platform for their stories to be told but you're talking about a time you know basically almost five years ago where everyone's jumping on board and and, you know want to be a part of telling these stories then and it was it was kind of harder to make that happen this is this is not just you guys didn't make this recently well, no. It was, so it was written in 2016. Okay. Oh, yeah, I get that year wrong. My, uh, my bad. Yeah. Yeah, so it was written in 2016. We didn't film it until 2018. Okay. So, so, Still. Why, 
so while writing it in 2016 mm-hmm. is when I had these characters um, involved, I mean, in mind. But Michael was the first one that knew about it. Mike. Yep. That when I, everyone else, they knew of it because I already reached out to him and tell him, Sean and maybe um, Dorian, like, they didn't know. Tyler, I didn't know, so Tyler either, but Sterling Milan, I mean, Sterling Brown, mm. um, Diggy, Nashawn, AK, which is a Kendra, Ebony, they all knew about it. But I wasn't going to go any further until I knew the producers like Stephen Garcia, Jeff Caligari, um, Shuri and Rachel Hansel, Um, I wasn't going to move forward until and, and, and let them know, okay, these are the dates until we knew that we had the finances. Mm. So we shot it in May of 2018, and then we premiered it in July of 2019. Gotcha. So we premiered it last year, but it got cut short at the film festival due to COVID that came about mm. March of the end of February and beginning of March of this year. Because, mm. um, you know, you get like a good year, one year run in these yep. film festivals. So we got like six months and that was it. But with, excuse me, within those six months, man, it won, you know, it's a, it's an award winning film. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. It won, it, it has won awards. But I tell this to, I only tell this to a couple of people. I don't celebrate those awards. I like can't, I have the trophies, the awards somewhere in the house, but I would just, it's not like I can put it on the wall, put it in front of me. I can't celebrate it because it's, it's too real. Mm. of a film like we're trying to save lives man this isn't like i don't want if, if you want to award me award me with getting more eyes on it mm-hmm. so people can know what we have to do to get back to what black wall street once was mm-hmm. in order to survive because that's what it's mainly about yep. to be honest yeah, so I mean, it was never about like, those awards to you. It was, that's what it sounds like. Never about those yeah. awards, man. It's about trying to answer my kid and everybody else's kid and, and answer myself as well. Mm-hmm. Like, running is my medicine, is my therapy, but I needed this film just as much as they did. I just didn't know that. Because yep. I never knew that they were thinking. My, he was thinking like that. But I be I think that all the time. I mean, I'm thinking that every time I step outside, I'm a grown man yeah. and gotta relive or retrace my steps every day I step outside. I know I'm in a danger. I'm on a battlefield just by going outside of my house. Those are the, the, the things, man, that keeps me sane and insane at the same time, but keeps me grounded because yeah. I know as long as I'm here and I have air in my lungs, which will be for a longer more time. I'm trying to help out as many people as I can that want to listen and pay attention until we see equality. You know, and even when we see equality, we have to step, stay on top of it. But just like the film said, this is not a five or 10 year deal we're talking about. It's like a 15, 20, maybe 25 year thing that we're now discussing in 2020. That, yeah. You know what? It, it's, it's wild. And, and, and it goes to, uh, Credit to you for like you know your ability even in the short uh, like short amount of time that this film is uh, to your to your writing prowess. I mean, think about everything you touched on, and, and I'm just gonna name a couple of things: I'm mean, Black Wall Street, Cap, the National Anthem, Montgomery Boycott, um, the business side of protest. I th- I thought that was a very 
poignant uh, thing that came up, um, the power of the almighty dollar. Uh, they're just like, it, I just named a couple of things. We were talking about women in protest earlier, just all these different aspects, a- athletes, their money and the whole thing. Um, so many pieces to it. But just to kind of close this out here, and this has been very eye-opening and such an awesome conversation, but like to kind of close this out, what um, if there was to be a message, and I don't mean to bottle it down to one thing, because like I said, there's so much going on. There's a message you're hoping that people take away after they see about the people. What 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 what, what would you want it to be? I want the message to be that it's a shame that every black person and person of color has to go through that the minute that they wake up. But also while we sleep, because we just know we saw what happened to Miss Triana Taylor, right? She was sleeping in her own home, a black woman. Can you imagine if the shoes was on the opposite foot? The message I want them to take is peace this. If that was a white woman that was sleeping in her bedroom with her white boyfriend, people were freaking out. And those were black cops that bust in the house or shot through mm-hmm. the window or the walls of the house, and they killed that white woman. And that wasn't even the white man that they were looking for. Where do you think those white cops would be? I mean, those black cops would be right now. Yeah. Do you really? Yeah. Do you think that they will be out and about and being able to celebrate Christmas with their families? Or would they be locked up? Or would they be dead already? Like, for each and everything that we're going through, flip the script. Look at it from a different perspective. If Tamir Rice was a white boy, who got killed by a black cop, would justice have already been taken care of? If Trayvon Martin was a white boy with a hoodie on, going to the store to buy children, why would he have been looked upon differently? It's already thrown against us. The minute that we're born, we're looked at as criminals, which is what I said earlier. So who fault is that? Who fault is it that whenever you see somebody black, and I say you, I mean in general, I'm not speaking yeah, of you, yeah, 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 I'm speaking of to course, the person. Whenever you see somebody black, why is the first thing you think about is danger? And we're the most compassionate people out there. Like, do you see what we're going through? And we still haven't picked up a gun to go to war yet. For 400 plus years, man. My ancestors on top of ancestors been going through this, man. My loved ones been going through this, man. My mother, grandfather, father, stepfather, aunt, my great, great grand, my great grand, like, they all been going through this, man. Wanting better for us just like how I want better for the next generation and hoping that generation want better for the generation after them. And we're still fighting the same battle. So if the shoe was on the opposite foot, wouldn't they want us to be their allies and help them get justice? But I think justice probably in the world that we're living in today, if the shoe was on the opposite foot, justice would have been taken care of the minute that that happened. Mm-hmm. But because we're black, we always get the downfall of things. Nothing happens as quickly as it should for us. Our people are being locked up in prison for dumb things, and they're getting locked up for 30 to 40 years. And when I say dumb things, I mean dumb things like they didn't commit whatever crime that these people are being charged with. But because they're black, they're being charged. You got the white guy, the white boy who goes to church and murders everyone in church. 
and the cops didn't kill him, took him for a ride, took him to Burger King, served him Burger King. And here we have a young man going to the store for skills and he's getting murdered because of his skin and he looks like a threat to this guy or whoever that gets off and then he goes off and I don't I don't want to say his name because we don't deserve the respect, but we all know who I'm talking about yep. in Florida. And then he goes and have an autograph sign, signing people's skittles. The guy who killed Trayvon Martin. And we're looking at that. We look at that every day. And we say, this is how America is treating us. And we know we built America. But the textbook in the schools won't allow that to happen. They won't allow that to be known. So then they tell you that this guy created a light bulb. They tell you that this guy created this type lighter. No, man, no, that's not true. It's not true. So that's why about the people was educating mm-hmm. you without knowing that you was being, I mean, not knowing that you was getting educated yeah, through dialogue. The history was littered in, in, a, in a really interesting way, in a fun way. Exactly. Yeah. In a fun way. Yeah. In, in a way where you wanted to see what was going to happen and you wanted to hear what was about to come out mm-hmm. of whoever's mouth next. Because yep. a lot of people didn't know Francis Scott Key was a slave owner. Mm-hmm. But you want us to stand up and sing this song. His third verse lets it be known that he's a slave owner. But guess what? You never really heard the third verse because they only played two verses in this song. I think a lot of people didn't even know about Black Wall Street until uh, even a Watchmen. Have you seen that on HBO? I mean, like, there's been a lot of different stories this year, which I think is very, very important. Lovecraft Crunchy did it as well. Uh, Speaking of Michael, um, you know, these stories being told, it's just, it's it's important because I can speak to it personally. I I was not educated growing up in white suburbia of any of these things. Period, and like it's it's in and it's just so powerful to see in your film these educational moments within this 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 dialogue of how we do how how do we fix it from within the black community through all these different angles. I mean, it's really about the people is really something special. Is there a, there was a little bit of talk, um, you know, throughout the screening that this might be kind of a premise for something bigger. And I thought that was the most beautiful of ideas. This, I like, uh, do you see any future or like, is this, um, kind of like, um, something you want to grow into something? Yeah, we, um, we actually in talks now and, um, we're creating, uh, a limited series with this, uh, you know, anything that, anything that touches, TV, it takes a while, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. that whole waiting process and all that, like it's crazy. But um, that wasn't the goal. That wasn't the plan. While writing this, um, yeah, this yeah, all yeah. came about from the from the very first time we screened it, man. At um, Martha's Vineyard Film Festival, African American Film Festival. Yep. The first or second question was, "We want to see more. How can we see more? We want every film festival that we touch and warn." or whatever those were the questions every single every last one of them every last one and um and then you know I just start thinking you know maybe we should send them show them more me you know Stephen Garcia Shruti Jeff Calagari Josh Daniel Castillo right 
we all start thinking like, okay, maybe this is something. And um, Samuel K. Vaughn, like, you got to give credit to Samuel K. Vaughn. That was my co-writer. Okay. Um, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's my co-writer. Um, I, I always believe in, regardless of what I touch, I always think a duo is greater than one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And he's a great writer. We, we collaborate on other things. We are collaborating on other things as well that we speak. But um, him and I was the ones that was going back and forth with the dialogue for um, about the people. And um, we wanted to make sure that it was educational, but not forced. Yep. It was educational, but very interesting in how we slid this and there, that over there. Mm-hmm. And by the time you got to the end of it, you understood how did you not know about this, but now all of a sudden you know from this 28-minute film. Mm -hmm. And the last thing we wanted people to say was, damn, that was slick. (laughs) But as you walk away from this film, what I want people to say is that was very well-deserved and we need more. And we need for people to really understand how truthful the situation has been. Not is, but has been. For a long, and still long is time. today. Yep. Yep. So that's what I want them to walk away with. That's it. Watch. That's about it. About the people. Um, it's, it's an incredible film. What you're doing is, uh, is super inspiring and incredible. And uh, honestly, Coffee, I mean it. It was it was an honor to talk to you about all this stuff and and spend this time getting to know uh, this work more and more. And I can't wait to see what happens uh, moving forward uh, with about the people and also to um, run with you and run to protest uh, more moving forward. So thank you. I really, really, really appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Nah, for sure, man. Anytime. I appreciate you reaching out and um, even being interested. Podcast.